Good evening. A Puritan's Mind brings you the old-time radio program, The Wild Boar News Podcast from sunny South Florida. Welcome. I'm Dr. Matthew McMahon. The Reformed Church of yesteryear had a more biblically rich, complex, and theologically accurate view of the Lord's Supper than 99% of those claiming the Reformed banner today. Not only did the magisterial reformers take time in sermons, tracts, commentaries, and writings on the subject of the Lord's Supper, but because of their break with Roman Catholicism's doctrine of transubstantiation, they had to biblically and solidly prove that their position was not only superior, but more biblically accurate. They did this easily, but extensively. Most of the 21st century church does not adhere to Calvin's view or the Reformed view of the Lord's Supper. Instead, they have adopted the counter-Reformation view of Ulrich Zwingli, who was not only opposed by Luther and Melanchthon, but also Calvin and those that followed Reformed doctrine in Geneva. Later, we will discuss Zwingli's view. Here, we look at Calvin's doctrine of the Lord's Supper, which was highly influenced by Augustine. Here is what Calvin taught about the Lord's Supper. Calvin said that a sacrament is an outward sign that seals on our consciences the promise of God and His good will to us in the Gospel. It is a visible sign of a sacred thing and a form of invisible grace. It is the invisible words of God. The sacraments bring the clearest promises and they have this characteristic over and above the word because they represent them for us as painted in a picture from life. Sacraments are signs of God's covenants. They are tokens of the covenant. They are exercises which make us more certain of the trustworthiness of God's word. They are only positively efficacious for us when we partake of them by regenerating grace. They are negatively efficacious for those who partake unworthily, calling down the curses of the covenant for covenant breakers. They are instruments of God and are only useful insofar as God uses them as instruments. The sacraments in and of themselves do not impart grace. Instead, like the Word of God, they present Christ to us. In the elect alone, the sacraments affect what they represent. We receive the reception of God's grace as we partake of them in faith. If one receives the sacrament carnally, the sacrament does not cease to be spiritual, but it is not so for them. God truly executes whatever He promises and represents in signs. The supper, then, extends to us the body of Christ which is in heaven. Union with Christ is crucial to Calvin's understanding of the supper. Christ is the life-giving bread that has come down from heaven and upon which our souls feed unto true blessedness, following John 6.55. 
Christ is, as Calvin says, invisible food and invisible drink for us to feed upon. We are members of his flesh and bones, and the bond of this union is the Spirit of Christ. Calvin says Christ is present at the supper by way of the sign of the bread and wine. The name of the thing, that is, the body and blood of Christ, is transferred to the thing signified. These signs presuppose the presence of Christ and manifests that presence via those signs. They are real grace signified and sealing real things exemplified in their signs of grace. Christ said, quote, this is my body, end quote. Calvin concurs. But Calvin asks, in what sense? He says the expression is figurative. The bread is Christ's body, and the wine is his blood, but these elements hold forth Christ to us, which demonstrate the truth of the reality for those who partake by faith. The reality, though, is conjoined with the sign. Calvin rightly says that we do not less truly become participants in Christ's body in respect of spiritual efficacy than we partake of the bread. Calvin says, quote, In his sacred supper he bids me take, eat, and drink his body and blood under the symbols of bread and wine. I do not doubt that he himself truly presents them and that I receive them. He says that in Institutes 4.17.10. What is Calvin saying in all this? Simply, let us use a modern marvel of technological wonder to explain what Calvin is saying about the supper. It is as simple as a cell phone. When you call someone, you enter into your contacts list that lists the person's name and number. There you have a visible representation of ideas formed in your mind about that person you're going to call. When I see the name Mr. Black, I have all sorts of information running in my mind about who Mr. Black is. I can tell you that I have never met Mr. Black face to face. I have never sat with him at dinner. But I have countless times spoken with and emailed Mr. Black about all sorts of things concerning theological issues and publishing books. He's my editor for Puritan Publications. But I have never met Mr. Black. I am sure that if I sat down with Mr. Black and talked with him face to face, the experience of that would be far more satisfying than simply seeing his name in my cell phone, or his name on an email, or even talking with him by phone. My experience with him is limited to words. In the same way, the cell phone is much like the sacrament that demonstrates to us the visibility of the Word of God and Jesus Christ. Christ, though, is in heaven. However, through the cell phone of the sacrament, the conduit, which is the Spirit of God, unites us with Jesus Christ, really and truly, but not as fully as face-to-face. -face. For now, we will have to be satisfied with the cell phone conversation of his real presence with us, in this case, through the bread and wine, that truly connect us to him. And 
we will long for the day that those spiritual sacraments, that spiritual cell phone, is done away with, and we'll sit down with the Lord in the fullness of His glory. Is this not better and more theologically rich than simply thinking of the Lord's Supper as some memorial service with no connection to Christ? Truly, Calvin's doctrine, the reformed doctrine of the Lord's Supper, is exceedingly rich. And more importantly, biblically consistent with the Bible's means of grace for us, his elect. More later. This is Dr. Matthew McMahon signing off. Keep checking back at A Puritan's Mind. Currently in the works is an MP3 series on the covenant of grace and another MP3 series on election and predestination. Puritan Publications has now released its latest book, A Heart for Reformation, which covers how every Christian should desire true biblical reformation in worship, in the church, in their home life, as husband, as wives, as parents, as children, as employers, and as employees. For more information on Reformed and Puritan theology, visit www.apuritansmind.com. For more on Reformed and Puritan theology, visit www.apuritansmind.com. Good night, then, until this same time next week. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780 Four five zero thirty seven thirty by fax at seven eight zero four six eight ten ninety six or by mail at forty seven ten dash thirty seven A Avenue, Edmonton. That's E D M O N T O N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A capital B, Canada, T six L three T five. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, 
and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.